0: KPBS On Demand is supported by the Museum of Contemporary Art San Diego, offering visitors to the La Jolla campus special exhibitions, collection galleries, coastal vistas, seaside dining, and more. mcasd.org.
1: Good morning. I'm Annika Colbert. It's Friday, March 12th. We're a quarter of the way there. We'll have more on San Diego's vaccination status, but first, let's do the headlines. The California Department of Public Health updated public guidance on Thursday that will allow modified reopenings of breweries, wineries, and distilleries. Starting tomorrow, any of those venues that don't serve food may reopen for outdoor operations only. Under the red or purple tiers, these venues must use a reservation system, enforce a 90-minute time limit per customer, and close up for on-site consumption by 8 p.m. Bars that don't serve food, however, must still remain closed. The Del Mar Vaccination Superstation will close down today through Sunday due to a low vaccine supply. All appointments will automatically be rescheduled through their online MyTurn system. Meanwhile, San Diego is still in the purple tier and county public health officials reported more than 400 new COVID-19 cases on Thursday and nine additional deaths. We still have one more day-ish of scattered showers in the county today. That storm system is still crawling its way through, bringing light rain inland and light snow in the mountains. The National Weather Service has a winter storm warning in effect until 10 p.m. tonight. The weekend and next week are all expected to be dry. From KPBS, you're listening to San Diego News Now. Stay with me for more of the local news you need. Five percent of San Diegans have now received at least one dose of the COVID 19 vaccine, and nearly 15% are fully vaccinated. KPBS's Jacob Ayer reports.
3: The county has a total of nearly 30 vaccination points of dispensing, or pods, and superstations to administer COVID 19 vaccines. Overall, the region has put over 1.12 million doses of COVID 19 vaccines into the arms of San Diegans. County Supervisor Nathan Fletcher said the region continues to remain at the top of the state in the number of vaccinations administered.
4: Almost 25% of San Diegans have received at least one dose and one shot, Um, but there are shortages. And the bulk of what is being honored right now are second dose appointments. Uh, We honor those first, and then with what's left, uh, we make first dose appointments available.
3: After prioritizing 20% of the county's vaccine doses for teachers in late February, Fletcher sent out a tweet earlier today saying, we have now offered a first dose vaccine to all our teachers and school staff in San Diego County. Retail pharmacies continue offering COVID-19 vaccine appointments that can be booked online as part of the federal retail pharmacy program.
1: And at this point,
5: our goal is to expand. We are ready as a company to deliver 20 to 25 million shots a month across our company, and we definitely have that infrastructure over 10,000 locations to be able to do so.
3: But who is getting the shots is part of the larger issue of vaccine equity. Supervisor Nora Vargas said that the county is trying to address that roadblock through different initiatives.
0: Some of the interventions and the programs in place in some of the hardest hit communities, including highlighting the Promotora program, our 211 expansion, the pilot walk up sites, the no appointment South Bay superstation at the Board of View, YMCA, and Otay Mesa. I'm really proud to announce that these programs have been successful and they are working.
3: Starting Monday, March 15th, vaccine eligibility will expand again, this time to people aged 16 to 64, with underlying health conditions subject to vaccine availability. To book an appointment, check the county's website or the website of pharmacies near you.
1: And that was KPBS's Jacob Baer. 70 foster youth are in danger of losing their home with the state's proposal to close San Pasqual Academy. KPBS North County reporter Tanya Thorne has more.
0: San Pasqual Academy in Escondido is the first program of its kind to provide a home and school for foster youth. The pilot program was supposed to run until December, but the state of California wants to end it early in October. Shane Harris with the People's Association of Justice Advocates says it's because federal law discourages funding for congregate living in foster care facilities. He's seeking an exception for spa.
6: It's a boarding school and it should be carved out as a boarding school. We have boarding schools all over the country. That's not illegal.
0: Advocates are presenting a letter to the San Diego County Board of Supervisors next week asking the state to delay the closure until June 2022.
1: And that was KPBS North County reporter Tanya Thorne. There's been strong community backlash after the release of an image of what appears to be a San Diego police officer pointing a gun at an eight-year-old boy during a traffic stop on Tuesday. SDPD has since released body cam footage of the incident that they say shows the responding officer never had his gun drawn on the child. In either case, many have begun calling on the San Diego police to review their protocols and treatment of children during traffic stops. David Hernandez covers law enforcement, crime, and public safety. For the San Diego Union Tribune. He spoke with KPBS Midday Edition host, Jade Hindman. Here's that interview.
0: And, and David, before we begin, I do want to play a brief clip of that altercation. Hey bud,
3: just put your hands up for us, alright? Just come towards us, alright? Come over here. Can you take
4: that gun over him? He's eight years just
3: old. You, just come over to us, all right? You're good, bud.
6: Okay. Dude, he's, he's eight, eight years old, bro.
0: Eight years old there. David, what do we know so far about this traffic stop?
7: Obviously, it got a lot of attention once a photo of the encounter circulated online. And the next day, uh, which was yesterday, police released some more information about how it all began. So what we know is that uh, an officer saw a car speeding down Park Boulevard in the Hillcrest area. Try to pull it over. The driver didn't pull over, though, according to police. And um, eventually did, and that's when this entire traffic stop that we see in the video unfolded. Um, essentially, they first called out the the driver, who was the dad of the of the kid. Um, and once he was in custody, officers called for the kid to step out of the vehicle. And that's essentially the point of discussion in terms of whether the officer pointed his gun. At the child or not Um, in the end, you know, he uh, was taken to the side by an officer while his uh, father was issued a citation and while officers searched the vehicle.
0: You know, the father can be heard in the video pleading for one of the responding officers to put his gun away from the child. SDPD has released body cam footage from the incident and insists that the gun was not pointed at the boy. Um, How has SDPD responded to this incident?
7: Yeah. So they, interestingly enough, uh, responded to the photo that circulated and to the dialogue around that photo by releasing the body camera video. And what was interesting is that they felt that it essentially showed that the officer had never pointed the gun at the child. And uh, they said that in a statement that came with the video. Um, however, uh, many people felt quite the opposite, that the video did show that the officer pointed his gun at the child, and as we heard in the clip you shared, the father also clearly felt that way too. He repeatedly asks the officer not to point his gun at his eight-year-old son. Um, And so again, what was interesting is that the department released this to, as they essentially worded it, to clarify some of the information, and they also said they wanted to do this to promote public trust, but um, many felt that it did quite the opposite.
0: And following the incident, a group of protesters demonstrated at police headquarters later on in the day. What's been the community reaction so far?
7: Yeah, so many at the protest actually called for the officer to be fired. Um, But generally speaking, a lot of the conversation has unfolded online. And many people have questioned the tactics that police used during the traffic stop, um, in particular, and how they dealt with the child who was in the car. Um, Councilwoman Monica Montgomery-Stepp, who's the chair of the Public Safety and Livable Neighborhoods Committee, she called on the police department to review how children are treated during traffic stops. So a lot of discussion about the trauma that this likely caused for the child and the implications of how police encounters um, affect uh, communities and in particular children.
0: Do we know why the officer felt the need to pull a gun during a traffic stop?
7: We have a little bit of insight in terms of some information that police released. So we know that they felt um, that it was a high-risk traffic stop, which essentially is a term or situations when officers believe that they may face a potentially dangerous situation. You know, we also know that the officer had a call for backup. And the question there is, you know, why so many officers? And what we're told is that the officer thought that the driver was trying to get away because he didn't initially pull over. So, you know, with high-risk traffic stops, it's not uncommon for officers to pull out their guns and aim them at the car. But again, the debate kind of centers on, you know, whether officers acted appropriately in pointing the gun at at the child or not and what trauma that may have left the child with.
0: And is there any indication from the city's Commission on Police Practices that they'll be reviewing this altercation?
7: Actually, that's one of the demands from community members that the police department investigate this incident. And it's very likely that it should the police department review this incident, the Commission on Police Practices would also look into it as well. But we haven't heard from the commission at this point.
0: Community leaders have already begun calling on the San Diego police to review how children are treated during traffic stops. What can you tell us about that?
7: So one of the strongest demands came from Councilwoman Monica Montgomery-Stepp, who called for the police department to essentially review how officers uh, interact with children during traffic stops And uh, essentially, a lot of people are kind of questioning how officers react and respond to um, traffic stops, but in particular, high-risk traffic stops when, again, it isn't uncommon for officers to pull out their guns. But in this case, you know, it's an interesting dynamic because a child was involved. So a lot of the demands focus on how officers should treat cases where children are involved.
1: That was David Hernandez, a reporter for the San Diego Union-Tribune, speaking with KPBS Midday Edition host Jade Hindman. Imperial County's repeated pleas for a better way to distribute the COVID-19 vaccine may have been answered. Source reporter Jennifer Bowman has more.
0: Imperial County is among more than 400 zip codes the state is pushing to the front of the line for COVID-19 vaccines. These communities will get 40 percent of California's supply. They're being prioritized because they rank low in factors like housing, income, and education. Imperial has been one of the hardest hit areas during the pandemic, but County Health Officer Dr. Stephen Monday said last week that few details about the new initiative have been released.
3: We just don't know exactly how they're going to roll it out and redistribute it amongst the different local health jurisdictions.
0: This week Imperial received its largest vaccine shipment so far.
1: That was iNews Source investigative reporter Jennifer Bowman. iNews Source is an independently funded nonprofit partner of KPBS. The Metropolitan Transit System Board voted on Thursday to bring back free bus and trolley transfers. KPBS Metro reporter Andrew Bowen says it's part of a fare system overhaul coming this summer.
5: MTS board members unanimously approved the new fare system, called PRONTO, which includes a pay-as-you-go function that ensures passengers never pay more than the cost of a daily or monthly pass, even if they pay their bus and trolley fares with one-way tickets. The board also voted to lower one-way youth fares from 250 to 125 Carolina Martinez of the Environmental Health Coalition says those moves bring justice to public transit.
8: Access to an affordable and frequent transit system is essential to our communities. A decrease to youth fares and no um, transfer costs is in line with a much needed long-term strategy to protect environmental justice communities and rebuild ridership and the region's economy.
5: Earlier, MTS had considered raising fares to pay for the system upgrades. But the board ultimately decided to use federal transit subsidies, included in the COVID-19 relief bills. San Diego City Council member and MTS board member Vivian Moreno says fare increases would have hurt ridership, which is already suffering due to the pandemic.
0: I think for the next couple of years, we're going to be depending more than usual on subsidy funding from the federal government to balance our budget. And in this context, it makes more sense to do whatever we can within reason to boost our ridership
7: closer to pre-pandemic levels while we have this cushion of federal funding.
5: If approved by the regional transit planning agency, SANDAG, the fare changes will take effect with the new fare system launch this summer.
1: That was KPBS Metro reporter, Andrew Bowen. Coming up, climate change has done a number on California's tide pools, but artificial tide pools have come into the rescue in Harbor Island. That's next along with our weekend preview just after this break. California's tide pools are under assault from a warming planet and rising seas. But the fragile ecosystems are getting a boost in San Diego Bay. KPBS environment reporter Eric Anderson says artificial tide pools are now in place along Harbor Island.
6: The long bayside sidewalk on San Diego's Harbor Island Drive is a favorite for locals and tourists. It's also close to the region's only artificial tide pools.
4: We need to be thinking about sea level rise right now.
6: Port of San Diego Commissioner Rafael Castellanos says the interlocking concrete blocks at the base of the island's armored riprap seawall create an extra buffer against rising sea levels.
4: This technology obviously benefits the port because we can start to create living shorelines which will help accommodate sea level rise, that will help armor our coastline with Non traditional technology, not just riprap, but now using technology that will enhance our ecosystems along the bay.
6: Over the next few months, Castellanos says sea life in the bay should start to move into the new tide pools and set up house.
4: You'll get algae, you'll get seagrass, you'll get barnacles, sea anemones, among other forms of marine life, and that all will serve to sort of gel uh, a biosphere, if you will over this um, artificial tidal pool system.
6: In addition to the sea life, the tide pools make the rocky concrete barrier along Harbor Island a few feet wider.
4: We are protecting against coastal flooding and we're also making for a greener, uh, more productive uh, ecosystem here at the Port of San Diego.
6: The Port of San Diego is investing $200,000 in Econcrete, the Israeli company that developed the idea if the company builds other projects in California, the port could more than double its investment. It's part of the port's effort to encourage businesses in the port's blue economy incubator. You're adding infrastructure in the water. Idosella is a co-founder of Econcrete, and he's working on the coastal lock tide pool armor.
5: Why not harnessing your existing infrastructure to provide similar ecosystem services and save this effort of putting in extra structures in the water?
6: Sella says the 7,700-pound concrete blocks interlock to give the structure stability, but he says the key to the project is how the concrete is mixed. Unlike commercial or industrial concrete, this mixture contains ingredients that are plant- and animal-friendly, what Sella calls salt and pepper.
5: Let's modify the concrete in a way that it become a better substrate for the
6: balanced biology to grow on. Corey Pukini is a conservationist working with Wild Coast to preserve the coast's unique assets.
4: I know there's more sustainable types of concrete that don't have as many additives, dyes, lye, things of that nature that can seep out over time.
6: He welcomes the addition of the artificial tide pools because the natural habitats are under fire from climate change. And he's optimistic the ocean species will find the new habitats welcoming. Yeah,
4: and actually a lot of marine life that lives in that tide pool or that coastal zone is highly adaptable i mean they already have to and when i say they i mean the, the species that that live in tide pool ecosystems they have to adapt daily to rising and falling tides fluctuating currents temperatures storms incursion of fresh water so they're highly adaptable species
6: Port officials will check in on the project every six months to measure progress. If it does work and it takes hold in San Diego, there's a pretty good chance that you'll see the technology deployed elsewhere. That could be in California or any place in the world where there's a need for a manufactured shoreline.
1: And that was KPBS environment reporter Eric Anderson. KPBS arts editor and producer Julia Dixon-Evans has some weekend arts and culture picks for you, ranging from the virtual ballet to alt-country. Here's Julia.
8: This weekend marks one year since California enacted the COVID-19 stay-at-home order. It's a milestone none of us imagined we'd observe while still unable to go out to the beloved shows and exhibitions or share art with our community and strangers alike. Thankfully, though, San Diego's arts offerings this weekend are top notch, so we can focus on the creativity rather than just wallow. First on my radar is A Year of Distance, which is a six piece dance film about the last year of the pandemic and how we've coped. It's brought to you by Disco Riot. There's a dance about finding joy in washing the dishes. There's a dance called I Miss Your Face about the reality of only seeing faces on Zoom. And there's one about mincing herbs. I spoke with Disco Riot co-founder and artistic director, Zakia Mahler Salinas.
0: We also have a work uh, by an artist named Marcos Duran. His piece uh, really is more like a single stationary, long camera shot of him mincing. I'm pretty sure it's ginger. The piece is called minced. And, and he was sort of playing around with the therapeutic nature of mincing this like way in which he's found some meditative quality in this very simple movement an embodied sort of um, meditation of, you know, spending time in the kitchen. And it's it's another piece that's kind of about shifting awareness um, and reorienting ourselves to, like, the new life.
8: These films screen Sunday at Cinema Under the Stars Outdoor Theater in Mission Hills with showtimes at 2.30, 4, and 5.30 p.m. And sales end 24 hours in advance, so book soon. And it costs $20. The films will also live stream on Tuesday, which is the actual anniversary of the California stay-at-home order for $10. Next up, City Ballet's Rhapsody in Blue, which is a phenomenal mix of traditional ballets and new choreography with a fun high-octane performance of the Gershwin hit. It's pretty great to see a stage full of dancers. And they also have some quieter duets, like Tchaikovsky's Black Swan duet and Prokofiev's Cinderella, and Samuel Barber's adagio for strings. My favorite was Ralph Vaughan Williams' really lush Fantasia on a Theme by Thomas Tallis, with new choreography by City Ballet's own Elizabeth Wistrich. It's a really gorgeous four-dancer piece to end the show. These are all really recognizable pieces of music, too, so it's a really approachable collection. That's City Ballet's Rhapsody in Blue. The collection streams on demand through March 21st, and it costs $29 for a pass. And finally, a little alt country. Grandpa Drew, a.k.a. Drew Douglas, regularly graced local small venues and bars with his earnest, nostalgia-tinged alt country. And it's always hard to be in a bad mood when the Grandpa Drew Flim Flam Review takes the stage. He'll be performing from Inside the Empty Casbah Saturday Night, streamed on Twitch. And I've really been loving these Casbah live streams. This is from Grandpa Drew's 2012 album, and it's called Wishes. Emotions are all over the place, so what better way to cope than to tune in to Grandpa Drew, make friends with some strangers in the Twitch chat window, and rock out a little. It's Saturday night at 8 p.m. on the Casbah's Twitch channel, and it's a free show. And for more arts events, or to sign up for my weekly KPBS Arts newsletter, go to kpbs.org slash arts.